Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We're back. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont, and this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during the racial revolution, sponsored by Fido Mobile. Stay tuned as we talk Canadian news and Black issues on a regular basis. And if you support our work to keep you informed, you know what to do. Subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of October 2nd, including... Pierre Parlievre becomes Conservative Leader of Canada. The Liberals and NDP launching the single biggest expansion of healthcare in 60 years. Amnesty International joins Black federal employees on their complaints to the United Nations. Jackson, Mississippi and its boil water advisories. And plenty more. So, patience. How was your summer, fam? You look like you had some good times. Tell us about it. <laughs> no, honestly, it w- it was an excellent summer. Um, obviously, I-, I don't need to share with with the audience, but after two years of spending the summer indoors mm-hmm. and with things shut down, I traveled. Uh, you know, I went to New Orleans. I went to Ghana. I, mm-hmm. I had a great time with. My my toddler now. Uh, it, it was it was really really excellent, and I, I saw you had a good time. So yeah, man. Yeah, man. I, you know, I had some times too. I had some times with some changes and things and things. So I went to uh, Morocco in June, and I went to Mexico in August, and both both were really good trips for different reasons, um, but they were both for weddings. Mm. Um, and I've actually got Jamaica coming up in a couple of weeks too. Okay, so okay. Be, uh, that's going to be great. And, you know, I, I I think the audience may know a little bit about my political work, but, you know, doing lots of in-depth stuff that that started through the summer as well. And so mm-hmm. positive changes on that front. So, I mean, it sounds like you and I, we had some good positive experiences, yes, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We do some positive changes. And guess what? Canada went through some changes, too. Are Just changes. <laughs> Are are they good or are they bad? I don't know yet. I can't call it. Let's talk about what happened, though. So as the fall setting of Parliament began, two major things happened in Canada. One, Pierre Parliev became leader of the angry white guy, I mean, Conservative Party of Canada, signaling a major shift back to the hard right origins of that party. And two, the Liberals and NDP launched the single biggest expansion of health care in 60 years. signaling a continued expansion of social or inclusive liberalism, which the Trudeau government began in 2015. So let's start by talking about Mr. Pierre Prolievre, who some might call PP or short for Pepe Le Pierre. You know, (laughs) Pierre is an interesting guy. Yo, Pierre, you want to come out here? The new conservative leader, he's 43 years young, born June 3, 1979 in Calgary to an Irish teen mom who left him for adoption which led him to being adopted by French Canadians, Donald and Marlene Polievre, which you'd think would give him a bit more perspective on life. But anyway, 
was first elected at 24 in 2004 as the MP for Nepean Carlton, if you can believe it. And before that, he worked as a political advisor for racists. I mean, political heavyweights <laughs> like Stockwell Day. Call it like it is. Yeah. As he rose through government, his biggest accomplishment as a junior minister in Stephen Harper's government was the introduction of the pretty sinisterly named Fair Elections Act, which mm-hmm. patients had to be severely redrafted since it was draconian in nature and contributed to the voter suppression of youth, the poor, and immigrants with limited forms of ID. He also made a name for himself as being the young politician with an annoying voice who acted as Stephen Harper's lapdog, all with the intent to throw red meat to the conservative base. Throughout the pandemic, he was one of the conservative party's most vicious, I mean, effective sales, well, spokespeople. (laughs) On the issues of inflation, even though it was through spreading half-truths and inaccurately distilling complex principles. Throughout his campaign for leader, he didn't really present any coherent policy, unlike what Aaron O'Toole, Lord rest his political soul, did. Instead, he courted disaffected hard-right and hard-left anti-vaxxers consumed with conspiracy theories. Now he's a man with a lot of power in his hands. For example, Politico has described him as Trudeau's first real political foe. And that Paul is the man who will shape right-wing populism in Canada for years to come. And to put into perspective, he won his leadership on the first ballot with 70% of the vote, or 68% of the points, and they have a specific point system, so that's how that makes sense, which even beats out when Stephen Harper won on his first ballot. Dude is going somewhere. So what are people saying about his win? Well, I told you about Politico. Conservative journalists like Andrew Coyne, though, are worried Pierre will take the party not far right, but far out. Althea Raj thinks liberals should be pretty worried considering the anger he's tapped into and the energy he's brought to his party. Then there's QP. That's the Canadian Union of Public Employees. They say, quote, Pierre is a career politician who has been collecting a six-figure salary on the public's dime since he was 24, and he spent every minute of his time in office fighting against fair wages, good pensions, and a better life for working people. He is not a worker and definitely doesn't get what it means to be a member of the working class. Drag him! Drag him! And that was just in part. Oh, damn! Then there's a star poll from September 11th patients with 10,687 respondents. It wasn't scientific, but it saw 50% of those respondents say that they are, quote, worried for the future. And another 13% say that they're, quote, disappointed and angry, end quote. But there are also 17% who said that they were excited. And another 6% saying they were cautiously optimistic, which tells me that even in progressive and centrist circles, some folks are giving Pierre a look. Scientific polls reflect this truth as well. Unfortunately, trusted poll aggregator 338canada.com has the conservatives at 35% and the liberals at 31. And that's as of October 9th. And believe me, patients, I've been watching the polls all throughout the summer. They haven't budged until now. So Hmm. there's something to be concerned about. But that said, a Nanos poll, that's an individual poll, but Nanos is pretty well known, showed that more Canadians still prefer Trudeau over Poilievre as PM. That's 45% to 30. So patients, I'll pose the same question the star poll asked to you. What was your reaction to his win? And obviously, I'm rem- I've removed all the positive options from the poll since I know you don't support Pierre Poilievre. So the four right. options are 
Are you disappointed and angry? Are you worried for the future? Who is Pierre Polyevre? Or are you not surprised and you've come to terms with it? No, I'm definitely worried for the future. Mm. Definitely. I'm really like... um one of the the comments that you quoted said it really really perfectly like he has been able to capitalize or leverage the existing anger right mm-hmm. um and he uses the the term freedom mm-hmm. never really defines it or explains what he means by that yeah. but he knows that the freedom convoy made a lot of people feel valid and mm-hmm. seen and he is riding that train all the way, maybe to Parliament Hill. Um, hopefully not. Well, no, um, he's already in Parliament. I mean, I sorry. think you mean twenty four Sussex. Yeah, yeah, to, to twenty four. Well, I really hope not to twenty four Sussex. I really hope he's. Um, you know, I, I'm okay with you know him leading the party and maybe them getting a couple more seats, but certainly not not for forming government like that. That would be absolutely terrifying Mm. we have seen pierre take all of the really like highly contentious issues and Mm -hmm. just absolutely simplify overly simplify them and i think from, from the perspective of vaccines from the perspective of abortions we're in for a bit of um, of a doomsday experience under under this man's leadership Yeah, yeah. He's, um, you know, I was I was watching him on Jordan Peterson's show the other day, which I was like, damn, I hate that I have to do this. But anyway. Yeah, I was like, wow, um, you could actually tolerate. Like, you know, J- Jordan Peterson is actually, anyway, yeah, I have some time for him sometimes. I have time, time for everybody. For I, I have time for everybody, to be honest, because it's important to hear their views, just not agree with them. But yeah, I, I'm listening to this guy speak and um, I'm like, yo, he's, he is a very good communicator. Yeah. He, he is intelligent as well. I mean, this is a guy who kind of had to actually block his nerdiness considering how many quotes he can just kind of pull out of nowhere. He, he knows how to use humor despite all the anger that he's been able to curry up. Right. He's very good at using it. He's actually quite charming. Um, I'm, again, I'm looking at him interact with Jordan Peterson, who's, who's more cold and, and you know, straight edge and and here's this guy who um uh he reflects the coldness as well but he does it with such charm that it, it's uh it's 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 concerning so yeah uh, this is gonna chills up your spine i was gonna say i mean no it doesn't it doesn't send chills up my spine it just puts into perspective how effective he may be over the next few years right so yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is worth some. It is something to 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 uh, keep our eyes on. Like we said, it was uh, one of the top things that happened over the summer. We'll see where it goes between now and twenty twenty five, right? Yeah. And now jumping to the 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 second big thing that happened. Well, almost happened, I should say, because it hasn't fully taken hold yet. I'll start by talking this way. Shit is still mad expensive out here, right, patients? Yep. I mean, I know we've seen a bit of relief in costs, like with the price of gas, but even that's going up like Drizzy on a Tuesday. So inflation is absolutely wreaking havoc on our lives. And all this is being driven by a combination of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and ongoing supply chain challenges, particularly due to China's zero COVID policy. Now, back on episode 88... 
Patience and I outlined a few little measures the feds were taking to help people with inflation. Well, turns out they decided to do a bit more for people after all. So what does that look like? The feds, that's the liberals, and the NDP have agreed to do three things. Double the GST tax credit for six months. Launch a temporary dental care program for kids. And then top up the housing benefit, which will all contribute to helping the most vulnerable among us weather high inflation. So how does it manifest? In terms of doubling the GST for six months, the NDP, you know, they did, did a lot of work on this, so they can speak to this. The NDP expects that about 12 million Canadians will be helped with between an extra, uh, with between $400 and $600 in extra help. Okay. The temporary dental plan would see low-income families receive a $650 check for each child requiring dental services. Those eligible will have to attest that they have a child under 12 and that they earn less than 90K per year and that they don't receive any dental work benefits. And families will be able to receive the check this year and next pending legislation actually passing, at which point they'd be issued a dental card for direct billing through the feds in the future. As for the housing benefits, it's, it's an extra 500 bucks for people who currently receive the Canada housing benefit and spend an extra 30% of their monthly income on rent. And the NDP says that about 2 million people will be helped through that. So that's, you know, a temporary help for people, 12 million people, in fact, plus continued support to keep pulling kids out of poverty, which the party started doing in 2015. That's the Liberals. And there's already increased money through the Enhanced Canada Child Benefit for moms and dads. The problem is that this help won't hit until the end of the year, if not early 2023, as I pointed out, once the legislation passes. So, I mean, patients, what do you think? Was this the right move, this spending to help those who are most vulnerable and, by the way, leaving us out? But to do so with the intent to not make inflation worse? What do you think? I, I think the money is gonna is going to help. So whether it comes a little bit later doesn't kind of shake me at all. I feel like people are really struggling. Like I, I don't know how how else to say it. I, I'm seeing a lot of uh, conversation uh, about housing in particular, yeah. um, because rent control has been lifted in a number of areas, and yeah. people still haven't recovered from the pandemic and the economic impact of that on those who are, who are part of the working class. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think the money is going to come in clutch. I, it, I'm a little disappointed at the, the amount of money maybe. Um, but, but I, I wasn't in there crunching the numbers, you know, making sure that it was going to work for the average Canadian, but speaking mm-hmm. from the perspective of living in Southern Ontario, I think the extra 500 for people who are currently receiving the Canada housing benefit will help people who are on the brink, not the people who are most, Mar- like marginalized from the current um, housing system, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are a little bit, people who are experiencing maybe being a couple months behind or are um, struggling as as you have to kind of turn on the heat now and uh, make it through through the winter. But uh, absolutely, I think it's the right thing to do. 12 million people is a lot of people given our population. Yeah, 12 million plus, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they did the right thing, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I hear that, I hear that. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Moving on to uh, blackity black black. Amnesty International Canada has claimed that there is anti-black racism in our federal public service in their letter to the UN special reporter. This claim is in support of the Black Class Action Secretariat's complaint to the United Nations submitted only days before Amnesty submitted their own letter. The BCAS's letter pays special attention to the gender dimensions of racial discrimination in our federal public service, including unequal job opportunities, hiring and promotional activities, and instances of racism, sexism, and sexual harassment in the public service. To be clear, we've already spoken about the Black class action suit last year, a little bit after they launched the suit in December of 2020. But as a reminder, 1,500 Black employees have courageously shared deeply personal stories of their experiences working for the Canadian government. They describe how they were denied promotions, mentorship, and other opportunities that were available to non-Black colleagues and were confined to low-level positions. Sound familiar? Yep. So enough about the problems. What were the actual proposed solutions or remedies, you ask? On a macro or systemic level, they're calling for the establishment of a fund to compensate Black employees for the harms experienced because of workplace discrimination. Also looking for the establishment of a Black Equity Commission to investigate and address systemic barriers and to create a framework for Black employees to be heard and the establishment of a designated category for Black employees under the Employment Equity Act, which is interesting. The Employment Equity Act only has four categories, women, people with disabilities, Indigenous people, and visible minorities. So they're asking for Black people to be separate from visible minorities, which is very, very interesting. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. Me too. On a micro or personal level, they're seeking the immediate establishment of culturally sensitive, trauma-informed counseling and mental health supports for current, former, and future Black employees. Mm -hmm. So on top of Amnesty International supporting um, the BCAS's claim, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and NDP MP Matthew Green we're at uh, the Wednesday, September 28th news conference uh, at Parliament Hill to offer their support. Mm-hmm. And here's what Jagmeet said, quote, on behalf of all new Democrats, as leader of the party, I want to express my full solidarity. Their call for justice, in this case, their call for equity is something that we fully support, end quote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on this, Curtis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody who has, you know, not work, not in a uh, bureaucratic role, but in a staffer role, worked for the federal government. Um, I completely can understand what these individuals are calling for, the redress that they're calling for. One thing I will say is, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily be interested in taking the government to court, regardless of what I've been through. Um, and so I, in a way, I kind of commend them for doing something that not everybody would do. You, you did already highlight that they are courageous. Um, uh, so look, 
I, I hope that they are successful. I know that the federal government has actually uh, uh, asked for this to be thrown out of court mm. as of the 5th. So um, we'll see where this ends up. But I, I do hope that what they're calling for uh, one way or another is implemented because, as I alluded to as you were speaking, every single thing is is pretty warranted and pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. Moving on to news from the world. Um, th- this was a pretty big story over the summer and it's still kind of ongoing. Jackson, Mississippi has no clean water or, or, or at least they didn't for a mm-hmm. really long time. This is the second black city in the U.S. to be ignored by the powers that be. City of Jackson is is the the state's most populous city and the the capital city of the state of, of Mississippi. The capital of the state whose governor, Tate Reeves, is Republican, said that it was, as always, quote, a great day to not be in Jackson, end quote. Like, yo. Okay. <laughs> He's right, but where is the responsibility? The accountability? Mm. The city's roughly 150,000 residents were navigating more than just drinking water. It was everything from making sure that they don't rinse their toothbrushes with tap water, keeping their mouths closed while they shower, rethinking cooking plans, budgeting for gas so they can drive around looking for water, and the list goes on and on. The way my face is screwed up right now, fam. Yo, Imagine living through such a reality. So what happened to kind of create this? Early September, some city flooding and some water treatment facility problems had shut down the the majority black city's water supply. And although water pressure returned and a boil water advisory was lifted in mid-September, the problems aren't over. There's an ongoing deeper health crisis happening in Mississippi. Residents are kind of managing pervasive chronic diseases. They have the lowest life expectancy in the state and the highest rate of infant mortality. Advocacy has begun, fortunately, and residents have filed a lawsuit this month against the city and against the private engineering firms responsible for the city's water system, claiming that they had experienced a host of health problems, dehydration, malnutrition, lead poisoning, E. coli exposure, hair loss, skin rashes, and digestive issues as a result of contaminated water. Another good thing is that uh, Joe Biden's $50 billion infrastructure bill mm-hmm. does have provisions for for helping situations like this to improve drinking water and wastewater systems. But because it's a federal bill, municipalities within the state of Mississippi are going to have to fight for that funding and, and to, to get their share. And judging by what their governor, Tate Reeves, said about it being a great day to not be in Jackson... Uh, it, it remains to be seen whether or not this is going to be fixed in the long term. What are your thoughts on this, Curtis? So you're telling me they're perpetuating racism with P3s and you've got private firms that are uh, effectively, uh, I'm just going to say hurting, hurting many, many people right now. Is that what you're telling me is happening in, in Jackson? Absolutely. It's really, so, so Jackson is 85% black. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds about yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it, it. It. This is this is feeling a little bit more like like a little bit more than neglect. 
Yeah, no, I I feel you on that. A hundred percent. Seems a little orchestrated. Yeah, seems just just a tad. So late last month, Canadian energy giant Enbridge announced that it would sell a $1.12 billion minority stake in seven Alberta oil pipelines to a group of Indigenous communities, making the deal North America's largest energy-related Indigenous partnership. This follows another oil company, TC Energy, signing an agreement to sell 10% in its coastal gas link pipeline to Indigenous communities, and the federal liberal government's signaling to sell at least part of its Trans Mountain Pipeline to Indigenous groups too. Undoubtedly, this is the right thing to do. Seems like a great model, right? So do you think Black communities should incorporate for the goal of seeking stakes in large projects to ensure our future economic prosperity? You just listened to episode 91 of The Trip, sponsored by Fido And we're so thankful for their support, which amplifies important discussions like these in the fight against anti-Black racism. We're releasing pods on a regular basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip T.O. You know, we love our many non-Black, non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners... We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See y'all next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.